Well, praise forever to the King of Kings, right? And welcome everyone. So glad to see you and thankful for all that joined in and led us in worship this morning. For you that joined with us online and over in the hub, what a great privilege is ours to praise the Lord God and sing these truths. And aren't you thankful that we're just not saying words? Uh, these are truths. And they're absolute and sure as the Word of God. Wonderful to see you. And as you're taking your Bibles and turning to the passage that was read earlier in Luke chapter 19, let me just share a couple things with you that are coming up I'd like you to know about. First of all, uh, you've noticed in the bulletin, if you've been our guest recently, we'd love to invite you next Sunday to a guest breakfast. You'll see the information there uh, myself. Some of the other elders or wives would love to get to know you. And so during that time, uh, please come by. We'd love to meet you and people be here to show you the way. But that is next Sunday. First one of these we've offered. We're looking forward to making a way of getting acquainted with folks who are our guests here at the church. Also, if you would uh, mark your calendars, November 7th, that's a few weeks away. But that is the uh, afternoon that we have our annual meeting. Uh, That'll be at 4.30. And that's where uh, we have the opportunity to uh, vote on the budget for the coming year. Elect the deacons who are serving with us. And also be sharing some other important information. Some of that will be coming to you uh, by mail this week. You should receive a brochure. It looks like this. It's called Revision, our campus development plan. And we're grateful for God's continued faithfulness in spite of all the challenges of the last uh, couple of years or so as we've been in the uh, pandemic issues and the struggles that have gone with that. We've been so grateful for God's continued faithfulness, your generosity as we've been able to continue to work away on this campus development plan. And you'll be receiving some information here this week. I'll tell you a little bit more about the next phases on that. It has to do with our uh, nurseries, our elementary space. And uh, we're very, very grateful. And that leads up to uh, just a few weeks away, November 21st. That is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Isn't it amazing to say that, how close that is? But we have our Jehovah Jireh offering. God is so faithful. He provides for us. And that begins our Jehovah Jireh offering last and open through the end of the year in giving toward uh, the beginning, the next phase of this uh, campus development plan. So we'll be saying more about that in the weeks ahead. Be some videos that you'll be able to see, but important information shared on that afternoon of November 7th at 4.30. So I hope that you'll mark your calendar for that. Well, again, turn to Luke 19, if you would. And last uh, Sunday, I was away and so grateful for the tremendous uh, messages that were uh, brought by Joe and by Jake. If you did not have a chance to be a part of those, uh, see those, I hope that you'll make sure you watch, listen to them both. They did a wonderful job. And you may remember that Jake's uh, message here in the auditorium was on hospitality. That was a very impactful message, very impactful message. Matter of fact, the impact was seen the next day. I thought you might want to see this, okay, as we had, we had a guest come to the, uh, uh, 
visit with us. You know, from Jake, we learned that guests should be dear to us, all right? <laughs> we didn't know that our guests would be dear, okay? But uh, this happened uh, just last Monday, and uh, Jake did the same, such a great job with that, but I thought this would be funny. If it's not funny, I'm sharing it anyway, okay? <laughs> was a powerful message, and Joe's was as well. Well, I don't know about you, but it seems a common and growing characteristic of people everywhere in this age in which we live is a lack of patience. <laughs> a lack of patience. Would you agree with that? Amen. Would you confess to being part of the problem, maybe? <laughs> We, we expect things so quickly, and we become impatient people. You know, my wife and I were out for a dinner the other evening, and then we waited and waited and waited, and it seemed like it was going on. I'd, you know, and after a while, you know, when you look down and see cobwebs growing off of you, you know, it's been a little long. And I was complaining about that, and Susan was rebuking me about that as well. And I, and I needed it. But we do struggle with impatience. We, impatience. we live in a society, we live in a culture when we think things should happen immediately. And if they don't happen immediately, at least they need to happen on our timetable, right? Our timetable. We struggle with that as disciples, and the early disciples did as well. And I want us to look at this passage this morning, and I want us to see how the early disciples, those first disciples, those followers of Jesus, they had their timetable for what the Lord was doing. Uh, they had their perfect plan, didn't they? They knew that he was the king. They knew that he was a promised Messiah. And now after three years of ministry, this incredible throng of people is headed toward Jerusalem. It's Passover season. And the Lord is going to present himself as king. There will be a great revolution throwing off all the oppression of Rome. And the kingdom will come to Israel. There's no doubt. This is... This is what's going to happen, and the disciples are sure of it. But you know, the Lord has a way of overturning tables, doesn't he? <laughs> he did that in his ministry. He overturned tables, and sometimes he has to overturn our tables as well, especially our timetables. Because the reality is the only timetable that matters is his. Is his. And so what Jesus did, as he is on his way to Jerusalem, as it is just a few days before everything will begin that awaits him there, he gives his disciples then and he gives his disciples now an overview of his timetable. Now, he wants them to know, in general, 
what is going to happen in this timetable, but the when is all of his own concern. It doesn't concern them at all. And so what I want us to do this morning is look at this parable that Jesus shared and how he overturns the timetable that his disciples had for him, but he shares what his timetable is. He shares his itinerary. So this morning, I want us to focus on this and think on this thought, the king's itinerary. The king's itinerary. Now notice, Jesus gives this kingdom itinerary. He gives the itinerary, and he gives a parable to say... This is what's going to happen. Notice verse 11. Why does he give this parable? It says, and he, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now the disciples were absolutely certain Everything is in place, everything is in order, and again, Jesus completely upsets their timetable. He gives an illustration, he gives a parable, and we're grateful that Luke here tells us what this parable is all about. What's the purpose of the parable? It's to tell his disciples that they should be very careful to think that their timetable is his timetable and that the kingdom of God is going to appear very, very soon, immediately. And so Jesus shares this, and he gives it this way. Verse 12, he said, therefore, here's the parable. A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And now look down at verse 14. But the citizens hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, something is very important for you to know about this passage. Jesus here is referring to a historical situation that everyone who was listening knew about. He's referring to a historical situation in most of their lifetimes, but he's giving it a prophetic application. Now here's the historical situation. Jesus is telling this parable, but everyone's ears perk up and they go, Wow. Because about 35 years or so earlier, in what we would call the year 4 BC, King Herod the Great, he's called the Great, be better to call him the Ghoul. <laughs> king Herod the Great died. You remember, he was the king who was ruling when Christ was born and attempted to destroy the Christ child by taking the lives of all those innocent babies around Bethlehem. But now, he's died. And in his will, he has bequeathed to his son, a man by the name of Archelaus, 
he has bequeathed to his son, one of his sons, that he will be the ruler of Judea, the area around Jerusalem. But Archelaus, before he can be confirmed in this position, even though it's given to him in his father's will, he has to go to the real power to have this kingship confirmed upon him. And the real power is in Rome, invested in the emperor Augustus. So in 4 BC, Archelaus makes this long journey to Rome to be affirmed as the king of Judah by Augustus Caesar. Now, while he makes this trip, a delegation of 50 leading citizens from Jerusalem, they also go to Rome. And they have a petition for King Emperor Augustus. They do not want Archelaus to be their ruler. They say he is unfit to rule. And he really was. But specifically in a recent Passover. And when there was a disturbance in Jerusalem. Archelaus had killed 3,000 men. In the streets of Jerusalem. Well, Augustus heard from Archelaus, then he heard from this delegation. He took quite a bit of time to make his decision, but finally he decided he would give Archelaus a chance, and he affirmed that Archelaus was king of Judah. And Archelaus returned, and he began to carry out his vengeance against everyone who had opposed him. Now do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's taking a situation that has actually occurred maybe 35 years or so previously. And he's taking this historical situation, but he's giving it a prophetic application. So that his disciples might know what the itinerary of the kingdom is. Because... Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. And he has inaugurated a kingdom. He's already laid the foundation for it. And Jesus is about to make a trip to a far country. How far is this journey going to be for the king? This Far country is going to take him through Jerusalem. This journey is going to take him through Gethsemane. This journey is going to take him through the scourging and the torture and the mocking. This journey is going to take him through the crucifixion. This journey is going to take him through death. This journey is going to take him through the tomb. And this journey is going to take him through the skies. He's going home again. He's going back and he is going to receive from his father a kingdom. What is that kingdom? It is the kingdom of his love in his people who will be redeemed. 
He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to go throughout all the earth convicting people of sin and righteousness and judgment and opening their eyes to the good news of Jesus. And the kingdom is going to be formed. It's going to grow and grow and grow and reach all the peoples of the earth. And then, in his own time, the king's coming back. That is the timetable. Jesus tells them what is going to happen in this parable. And he tells them he will return. Doesn't tell them the time of his return. When will Jesus return? When is the king coming back? The king is coming back. When this is completed, listen to Jesus. He says, this is when I'm coming back. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This gospel, this good news of a king who has died for his people, suffered in their place, conquered the grave, ascended to glory, who is returning, this gospel will be proclaimed to all the ethne, not just nations, but all the people groups of the earth. And then the end will come. Now this is the agenda for our king. It's his itinerary. That's what this parable is about. But with this itinerary comes our responsibility. You see, we're not allowed to be people who sit around and say, isn't that a good thing to know? It's nice to be on the inside and have inside kingdom information and to know what is going to happen eventually. You see, with that revelation of what we know, Jesus says comes responsibility. We have a kingdom responsibility. And that is what this parable is about. While the king is carrying out his timetable in his time, what is our responsibility as his servants until he returns? Here's the responsibility, verse 13. Jesus again is telling this parable. He calls this nobleman who takes the journey to the country and is coming back. Before he goes, he calls ten of his servants... And he gives them ten minas, and he says to them, engage in business until I come. Now, let's notice a couple of things in this parable. First of all, we need to understand what's the value of these minas. A mina, what is a mina? Well, a mina was equal to about three months wage for a common worker. So today we might say perhaps six or seven thousand dollars. Just say that. So this 
man, this nobleman, gives to ten of his servants, each one, about six or seven thousand dollars, and says, Now you invest this, do business with this until I come back. Now, there's something that's more important here, even than knowing the value of the minas. We need to know and notice here, friends, the nature of these minas. The nature of them. What do we notice about these minas? Number one, make sure you're clear on this. The minas belong to the nobleman. They don't belong to the servants. This is his money, not theirs. And these are entrusted. They, this, this money represents an entrustment, an opportunity to act in the service of the king. It's, a, it's an entrusted responsibility. In reality, you think about it, these servants belong to the nobleman and the money they have belongs to the nobleman. It all belongs to the nobleman. Now the key is right there. These servants are managers. They're not owners. They don't own anything. Everything they are and everything they have belongs to their master. <laughs> their master. And friend, let me just stop here for a moment. Your understanding of your life on this planet begins right here. Let me say that again. You cannot understand your purpose on this planet unless you understand this. What do I need to understand? I am not my own. I belong to my master who has purchased me. And everything I have is his. And I'm not an owner. I'm a manager. And if you don't start there, life will never be in alignment with God's principles. When managers start acting like owners, there's going to be problems. The Lord is the owner. We are managers for him. Now, what's that mean? I'm a manager. These people have been entrusted as we have been entrusted. So what do we learn here? He's told them to go and invest, to do something with what he has entrusted to them. So life for them is not a waiting room until the king comes back. Life is not a waiting room for the kingdom. Friends, the kingdom is now. <laughs> the kingdom is right now. The idea that we are here on this planet just either awaiting the undertaker or the upper taker is wrong. We're not waiting. We are not in a waiting room for the kingdom. The kingdom's right now. Amen. The king is not here personally, 
But the king is here. Where? In our hearts. In our presence. He's here. How many times did we sing this morning by faith? You are here. How were we led in prayer? You are here. And we are in your presence. These are not just words. The kingdom is now. You miss your life. You miss the kingdom if you just are waiting for the kingdom and don't understand the kingdom is now and you're part of it and you have a responsibility. Amen. Now our calling is not to await the kingdom. Listen carefully. Our calling is not to await the kingdom. Our calling and responsibility is to participate in the kingdom. We're not called to await the kingdom. We are called to participate in the kingdom. Just like these servants were. He gave to them riches. And they were to take the things that he had given to them and expand his kingdom. Expand his domain. They were to participate. And with that responsibility, what comes with great responsibility? Accountability. And that's the third thing you want to see in this parable. You want to see, and we need to see, kingdom accountability. Kingdom accountability. Now, in the parable here, here's the accounting moment. Here's the audit, all right? That'll send chills to your bone, okay? Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now notice, they've been given great responsibility. They've been given his riches. But now there comes accountability. What have you done with what I gave to you? This parable here is prophetic that the Lord is returning and he is returning to have an accounting given to him by his servants so that he might what? Reward them. What does Jesus say? Some of his last words in the book of the Revelation, the last chapter of the Bible. Here's what Jesus says. Revelation 22:12. 12. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. Notice... The king is coming. He says, I'm bringing my reward with me. My reward is with me. Each will receive according to what he has done. Now in our Lord's parable here, he gives three, notice he gives three rewards for three different types of responses. There's three rewards given to three different types of responses that he is the master. He has left to receive a kingdom. Now he's come back 
here are three responses to him, three types. Notice them. First of all, quickly, there's the reward for faithfulness. The reward for faithfulness. Look at verse 16. The first came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been what? Faithful in very little you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Now, notice here. The amazing generosity of this master. The amazing generosity. I mean, talk about a profit sharing program. Okay. Wow. Notice, the reward though is based on their productive service. It's based on each one's individual productive service. But also notice something. This is amazing. What is the reward? Did you notice this? The reward is not, hey, you made 10 minus, I'll give you 10%. It's not you made 5 minus, I'll give you 10%. What is it? The reward is to participate with the master in his ruling. I will give you 10 cities. I will give you 5 cities. What an astounding privilege. The master here is saying, I'm going to share my kingdom with you. Here is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share and you will share with me in the ruling of my kingdom. <laughs> what a privilege. And friends, what a promise. Because this is right out of the Bible. You know what the Bible says about Christians who faithfully serve the Lord? Do you know what the reward is? Is the reward to stand before Him and have crowns heaped upon you and you kind of balance those crowns as you walk the streets of gold? What's the reward? Well, the Bible tells us what the reward is. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. We will reign with Him. Listen to our Lord's promise. Again, last chapter of the Bible. What is the reward? Revelation 22, 5. And night will be no more. They will have no need of the light of the lamp. Or of the sun. For the Lord will be their light. And they will what? Reign forever and ever. We will participate in the everlasting kingdom of God. Faithful followers of the Lord. 
who have served him here, who have invested their lives in serving him on earth, in the kingdom to come throughout the countless ages, they will actually share in his rule with him. Now you say, Sam, what does that mean? How should I know? Okay. I'm just reading the Bible here, okay? We can only imagine. But I want to tell you, heaven's not just a perpetual plane on a harp floating on a cloud. It's not just hanging out. His servants will serve Him. We will serve Him. What that means, we can't even imagine. But through the cycling ages of eternity, the Lord is going to share His kingdom with us. Wow, what a master. What a master. The reward for faithfulness is to share in the reign with the Lord. But notice there's a reward for fearfulness. What's the reward for fearfulness? Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming? I might have collected it with interest. What's the problem here? This servant is controlled by what? Fear. Fear. Now listen to me. Why is this servant controlled by fear? One reason... He doesn't know the heart of his master. He doesn't really know his master. If he really knew his master, he would know his master is not a miser. He would know his master is gracious and kind and good. His master is not hard and stingy. He just gave ten cities. He just gave five cities. The idea here, what Jesus is saying in this illustration, for sake of argument, your own words condemn you. I'm not. The idea here is, I'm not a stingy, mean man. But if that's what you thought about me, then at that least you should have done something with my money. You know what's worse than what this man says? I knew you were a hard man. This is why I did it. You know what's so terrible? The servant is blame shifting. He's blame shifting his own laziness. He's blame shifting his own disrespectful disobedience back on his master. And this is as old as Adam. 
the woman who you gave me. Well, what would you expect with a wife like that? The woman, the snake. Snake's looking around for someone to blame. The snake's Satan incarnate, so he's got nobody to blame. Here we have blame shifting. Blame shifting back on the master. Saying to the master, projecting onto the master the darkness out of his own heart. God help us. God help us. My friend, don't blame God. Don't take on a victim mentality. If you have trusted in Christ by His grace, you are not a victim, you are a victor. Do not shame blame back on the Lord. Don't blame the Lord. Friends, behold the Lord. Worship the Lord. And when you worship the Lord, you come to know who He is. You know His name. You know who He is. And you trust in Him. And you start to love Him. And when you love Him, then you watch serve Him. Not out of fear, but out of love. Amen. The Bible says, it's the love of Christ that compels us. The love of Christ. That God commended his love toward me. While I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. My friend, when the love of Christ captures your heart. There will be no burden too great. There will be no cause too hard. There will be no day that you'll blame him. Because he gave his son for you. Stop the complaining. Stop the terrible posting. And look to God and thank God that you're in the kingdom for such a time as this. And get busy. Get off the keyboard. Get your fingers off. Get your feet going. Love somebody. Help somebody. Do good to somebody. Lift someone's heart. Pray for somebody. Be hospitable. It's your choice. But above all, don't blame God. There's a reward for faithfulness, there's a reward for fearfulness. You lose your reward. Lose. Burned up. Saved. Yes. But what do we offer Christ? But notice there's another reward. It's awful. But it is a true reward. It's a reward for faithlessness. Faithlessness. Listen to verse 14. There were some citizens. They hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to rule over us. 
What Jesus is saying here is taken word for word from Psalm 2. We will not have his anointed rule over us, his Christ. How proud they are. Oh, they're liberated. There's no chains on me. Invictus. I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. They scorned his servants. <laughs> Look at the way you're working. Look at how you're working for this man that's not even here. Who knows where he is? Giving yourself to such fables as that, that he's coming back, really? Haven't we advanced beyond that? I mean, in our society, haven't we come to understand that every person has their own truth? You stand in your truth, and you have your truth. There's here a truth, there a truth, everywhere a truth, truth. And so I say, it's just not my truth. It's not my truth. Well, then the truth happened. The king came back. The king came back. And he passed judgment. According to their works. Verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine. Who did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here. And slaughter them before me. You don't hear a lot of people quote this saying of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Oh, quote the Beatitudes all the time. But this is Jesus. And this same Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back. In power and glory. And the Bible says he's coming back in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. Second Thessalonians. The king is coming. He's bringing rewards. He's bringing rewards for those who serve him and he's bringing retribution for those who will not serve him. How do you know this person is not a believer? He will not serve the king. He may go to some assemblies. He may gather from time to time. But he walks out the door and he never serves according to the king's direction. He will not have this king rule over him. And the king comes back. And there's rewards for those who have served him. And there's retribution for those who would not serve him. And my friend, the question, which one will you receive? Because the Bible says that Almighty God says, As I live, God cannot make a vow by anyone higher than himself. And so God makes a vow by his own name. God says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee 
shall bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. And my friend, God has ordained that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But confession then will be too late. It's only confessing him as Lord that saves now. Now is the day of salvation. You see, here's the big application. Here's the big question for us as believers. Let me leave this with you. Listen carefully. What's the big takeaway? I think it's this. How am I investing the gospel? What's Jesus been showing them? The gospel. The gospel at the house of Zacchaeus. The gospel to blind Bartimaeus. The gospel to the lost and the outcast. The gospel, the good news for the rejected. They've been invested with the gospel. Each one is different, but each one's been given the same. Notice it's each one was given a minor. Each one was given the same gift. Friends, we may have differing gifts and abilities, but we've all received the same gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are we doing with it? What's the Lord asking us to be here? Gospel capitalist. <laughs> Don't take that as an economic message. But I'm just saying, Jesus said, invest what's been given to you. Invest it. Invest your life. Invest in people. Invest the treasures that God gives you in life, the opportunities. Invest them. We're going to sing a song here in a minute. Ask Doug for us to sing it. It's an old gospel song. You know what it says? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Now just hold on for a moment. You know how some people actually are going to live that song? Take my life and let it be. Save me. Lord, save me. Then leave me alone. I hope you know that's not the gospel. What's the gospel response when Christ Jesus lives in your heart? Take my life and let it be what? Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, I pray that you'll take these words. And Lord, those words that I've shared that are your words, your message, Lord, let them not return empty. May they bear fruit in all of our lives. Lord, anything that I have said that has not been of you, oh Lord, let it have no effect. But oh Lord God, your word is truth. What you say is not just true, it's best. And Lord, help us to lose our life and find it in you. Oh Lord, help us to truly Invest our lives in others 
for the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen.